What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Seeking Excellence podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, host and founder of Seeking Excellence. And let me tell you, this is your trigger warning for today. It is not for the weak or faint-hearted. This is a summary of sorts of my thoughts after attending a talk last night by a well-known priest named Father Ripperger. And he talked about the current state of spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle taking place in America and around the world. And so his experience as an exorcist and just a, a devout priest um, have really given him a lot of insight into how things are going in the world today. And so this is kind of me sharing um, my thoughts, my notes from the talk last night, and uh, just a lot of thoughts and ways that I think it applies to our world, what we're trying to do here at Seeking Excellence, and the way that we can either contribute to the good or evil that is in the world today. So hope you enjoy it, and uh, consider subscribing to the podcast, share it with anybody who you think might find it powerful. This is one that will encourage uh, the good, hopefully encourage the good soldiers of Christ uh, that we have out there in the world. So keep fighting hard. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. He's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. lead others and never surrender it is time to begin seeking excellence hey everyone this is nathan crankfield coming at you live from the kitchen very excited to be back you know i haven't podcasted in man like six weeks something like that it's been crazy so uh, last week was kind of my recovery week of sorts mentally of trying to get back in the game, which was perfectly timed to past Wednesday because I just always believe that there's superpowers and a lot of grace that come with Lent. And so I thought it was a great week to kind of get back on the horse, you know, and, and try to get back in the fight. And so it was kind of like a training wheels kind of week for me. And this week has been a lot more active, a lot more productive. So uh, it's just great to be back in the podcast. And so what I want to talk about today is uh, – very timely for me as well. We just happened to hear about it, Emily and I, yesterday, uh, Benedictine College hosted Father Ripperger, which is kind of a hard name to say. Um, but Father Ripperger is a, uh, is a Catholic priest who is also an exorcist who belongs to an order out in Denver and is just an incredible man, very popular amongst traditional Catholics. And so for a lot of people who don't know this, I learned a lot about this over the last couple of years, you know, what we call like trad cats and rad trads. There's a lot of terminology kind of within the young adult Catholic world of like what that, what all that stuff means. And so your traditional Catholics are people who typically attend the traditional Latin mass, right? And so there's kind of this spectrum, if you will, of kind of Catholicism and unfortunately a spectrum of sorts within our liturgy and what type of liturgy you prefer. And what type of liturgy you prefer often correlates to what type of homilies you prefer, what type of teachings you hold. A lot of times it correlates with people's political stances. And so, uh, you know, for a lot, if you don't know this, some of this is basic knowledge to some people, some people really, I mean, we're not really taught this very much. So Vatican II took place, the Second Vatican Council met between 1962 and 1965, and a lot changed through the Second Vatican Council, you know, and the way that we worship changed from the traditional Latin mass to what is now called the Novus Ordo, the New Order and uh, which is where the priests face the people, masses in the, the language of the people. And there's a lot of different things that ended up coming from that, like receiving communion on the hand, uh, the music in church changed, um, all kinds of things, right? And so we saw a lot of differences and changes kind of come out of that. And there's a lot of people who critique the Second Vatican Council, and there's a lot of different, you know, beliefs of how good it was or if it was bad. What's interesting, I've heard from a lot of people 
is that the documents of Second Vatican Council really aren't problematic, but more of the what people refer to, a lot of theologians refer to as the spirit of Vatican II, ended up being somewhat uh, dangerous in the church, right, and created a lot of dangerous philosophies and uh, breakdowns in the church. Well, you have a lot of craziness, you know, we see a lot of things with uh, different Jesuit priests, like Father James Martin, or other Jesuit priests who have said that Satan is, is just a symbol and just an idea, people that question whether or not hell is real, right, and we've kind of seen this, like, change in direction in the way that we kind of preach within the Catholic Church. You've seen a lot of, you know, there was a lot more, it's what some people would call like fire and brimstone, right? Like discussions of hell and reality and salvation and eternity and those types of things into a lot of this kind of almost like mirroring a lot of like evangelical pastors today, where it's like a lot of like kind of fluffy, nice life stuff, but isn't actually um, relevant to how our daily decisions, our stances, our beliefs actually affect eternity and salvation and how important real salvation is, how important real heaven and hell are, how important and real the devil and St. Michael are, right? And so, and how important and real spiritual warfare is. And so that's what I want to talk about today, because that's what Father Ripperger's uh, talk was on last night, was the current state of the spiritual battlefield. And so Father Ripperger, as an exorcist, has a, a very keen insight, very keen perspective on uh, the current state of the spiritual battlefield. And so me being where I'm at and just kind of going through these last couple of years of what I call my orthodox revolution, which also took place simultaneously as my kind of conservative viewpoint revolution in my life. You know, I, I talk often of how I registered as a Democrat at 18 and then just kind of really in my last couple of years in the army was exposed to more. Well, throughout my time in the army, grew in my love for America in the latter couple of years of the army, like really grew in understanding some of the more conservative principles that I wasn't previously exposed to wasn't previously taught. And that kind of really changed my life and changed the way that I view things. And so I started doing a lot more research and understanding politics, everything, right? Like from abortion to same-sex marriage to uh, economy to foreign policy to all these different things. And really just took like, didn't know how much I loved reading and learning and, and listening about it, but really grew in that. And so at the same time, I kind of really started to understand more about church history, church politics, orthodoxy, the liturgy, and just kind of the way that the church is separated and divided in that way as well. And so it's interesting how, to me, it's always been interesting how much these two things seem to be connected. And Father Ripperger's talk really spoke to that for me um, in, a, in a really powerful way. And so I've been drawn to a lot of uh, speakers or authors on the more traditional side of the Catholic Church um, in, in some of their viewpoints. Now, I'm not a traditional Latin mass attending Catholic. I do prefer a very orthodox novus ordo personally i see a lot of value to the latin mass uh i don't i don't downplay it or criticize it at all um i definitely do criticize some of the novus ordos that we see and that are just unbelievable with the way um, people have changed the liturgy and it's become so much more about the people than about god uh which i think is a dangerous thing and so uh but I, i'm not i'm not a hardcore you know trad cat like you know if you don't receive communion kneeling on the tongue, then it's wrong. Like that's a stance some people hold, but um, there's a lot to all of this stuff. And, and the reason why I want to talk about this today and the reason why I think this is so important and the reason you, hopefully you understand why I talk about some of these political things and social movements more today. Um, but I talk about them because I think that they matter. And, you know, St. Maximilian Colby said some probably 80 years ago uh, that the, the greatest poison of our time is indifference. And I've written a blog about this uh, actually during Lent last year about how the greatest poison of our time is indifference, you know, and, and we just have that. We have this, we have this uh, lukewarmness and this indifference where we just, we just don't care. We just want to say, you know, I'm not worried about these things, or that's too much to learn. It's too much to understand. And, and truly, I tell you, we have to stop doing that. It, like this intellectual laziness that's, that's just rampant in our world, but especially within our church, has to stop. You, you do not, there is no being on the sidelines anymore. You know, like you have to engage in the game because we are losing souls, lives, our country at, at a very rapid rate. And I think that it's a it's a it's a sad thing. It's a difficult thing to, to watch happen. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to share with you some of my notes. I took serious notes last night on spiritual warfare, uh, the, the conversation with Father Ripperger. And as I've kind of gotten prepared over these last couple of years and just kind of my journey with the Lord, this was so timely for me because I felt like I've always kind of come to know or be really kind of drawn to spiritual warfare. And I've always noticed how much 
in men's talks, especially when I'm ever in talks with either at seek or at a retreat or whatever it might be where it's just men, spiritual warfare is often talked about, but I feel like we still have such a weak understanding of what it actually is. Um, and I think they'd like to talk about warfare because of battle and manhood and it's supposed to like appeal to men, right? But there's not necessarily this like real understanding of like how serious this is. And that's one of the dangers I think that you have when you have this kind of watered down preaching that we often see in our churches, right? But as I, you know, started to grow more in my understanding and I started to go to certain Latin masses and hear homilies, I was like, wow, they, like, the, it was so funny how it was, it lined up perfectly. One of the things that really, I used to listen to uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church, like every weekend, like I would, or every week, at least, you know, his homily from the weekend. And uh, I loved it. And I thought that it was so cool. It was inspiring and all this stuff. And eventually, as I started to have my kind of like worldview, social view, uh, you know, revolution in conservative things and really start to understand, especially how important uh, the pro-life movement is. And this is something I'm going to get into in a, in a podcast in the next couple of weeks. But as I started to realize that, I started to see how much these evangelical pastors that I really enjoyed listening to weren't tackling these issues at all. And I'm like, no wonder they're able to grow, you know, uh, they're following to millions of hundreds of thousands of millions of people because they preach these kind of like nice messages without the hard truth. And so there is no divisiveness within them because there's nothing to, there's nothing that could divide, right? Like it's all just kind of like niceties and like simple messages that like everybody can kind of agree with. And that's what a lot of Catholic priests have fallen into as well today. And, and speakers, I see this with a lot of Catholic speakers, that they're not engaging really necessarily seriously in any of this spiritual uh, warfare that's taking place, like in the minds and hearts of human beings, because we just want to stay on the easy side. We just want to talk about the easy topics. And so we don't really want to get into the depths of speaking of the things that are, are challenging or, or seen as divisive or might offend people, right? So we just take this like easy road out and we don't want to say the hard truth. And we should always deliver that truth with love, which is something that I've seen the traditional Catholics struggle with at times, right? They're not always the most joyful and loving people, but I have my rational side has, I don't want to say they're unloving, but there's definitely like, it, you can definitely feel it. That's not, it's not the same, right? Like I think that in the extreme parties on that side, that's what they lack mostly. Just like I always talk about conservatives and liberals, right? Liberals often lack truth, but are filled with, or at least striving to love and care for and tolerate everybody, right? And then conservatives, I think a lot of times come hard with facts, but could be rounded a little bit and could make their presentation a little bit more uh, appealing with being a little bit more gentle in their approach, right? But I have been drawn to the truth that I found in the uh, traditional community. And so back to what I was saying about hearing these homilies at these Latin masses, I'm just like, yo, these guys are talking about it. You know what I mean? Like they're talking about the things happening in the world. They're making sense of the things happening in the world for their congregation. They're talking about the pro-life movement, the destruction of the nuclear family and all these things that are really negatively impacting us. They're not holding any punches. They're really letting it go and telling us how, how they see it is. And another thing that really drove me to them is that they, they truly believe and most Orthodox priests that I know um, the more orthodox they are, the more I, I tend to find that they're very committed to prayer. They, they don't have this uh, kind of, um, they're very committed to prayer. And I find that they're typically very masculine, uh, which is something that I'm drawn to and I, I really love about them. So all that to say that I think this stuff is important. And I think that there's a lot of value that the general church population can, can gain from listening to or reading more of traditional Catholics. And just like you should do in politics, like, listen to and read from both sides, like understand, like start to understand where people are at and whether you're only getting from one group, you need to start, you need to start balancing that with some of the other group, right? Or starting to understand at least what are the different viewpoints? What are the different beliefs in the church? Because that's critical. All right. So let's get into this a little bit here. So Father Ripperger talked about the current spiritual battlefield, and I literally felt like a platoon leader taking notes at a brigade brief on, you know, in Afghanistan. Like, that's how I felt. I remember the entry entry briefs we had when we got to Afghanistan by the previous battalion commander briefing, our battalion commander and all our PLs, and that's what it felt like. Like, it was literally like, okay, this is what's going on out there, and that's what I hope to be. That's that's my inspiration and my my dream, what I feel like is my charge from God, is to try to be just like a simple, right now, I just think I'm a simple squad leader you know, in this spiritual battle and trying to form people and help people make sense of the world, understand our role and, and encourage them to actually take action and do something about it. So that's what we want to do here at Seeking Excellence by empowering people to take ownership and responsibility for their lives and to form them so that they can help other people do the same 
And a big part of that is spirituality, right? It's spiritual excellence, which is exercising your, your faith to the best of your ability. So what he talked about is, this is something that was really interesting. He said that before 1963, typically, you know, from the records that they have, it took typically one to two days to deliver somebody in an exorcism. So someone who's possessed by a demon to deliver them from the exorcism, to remove the demon from their body, uh, from their life, um, from the possession of the demon took one to two days. He said that in one day in 1963, overnight, it went from one to two days to 10 to 24 months, right? And he said that now a lot of cases are seen to be indefinite, where there's just an indefinite possession of somebody. One thing that he said is that the efficacy, so the effectiveness of priests is dependent on the holiness of the church. So the state of the church at the time is going to, de is going to determine the efficacy of the priest who is trying to perform the, the exorcism, right? Because that's essentially what they represent. They represent Jesus, they represent the church in that moment, right? But so if the church is weak, then the, the person that the church is sending, is not gonna have the power, the same power of God behind them, right? So he talked about how important that is. And that just comes to, you know, a, a point that he made later on, it's just how important each and every personal decision we make is, right? So like, one of the biggest lies that the devil has successfully implanted into the church and into the world is that our decisions don't matter. What we decide to do, how we decide to live, what we decide to believe, especially, is, is thought of to, to just not even matter, right? Like, it's like, oh, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Yeah, sure. Like, you can be pro-choice and Catholic. You can be, uh, you know, go to same-sex marriage rallies and be Catholic and all these things. And, and and this is one of the dangers, you know, I just I just did this rant. If you follow me on Instagram, you know this about like, uh, about the the bishop here um, in uh, Kansas City, Kansas, criticizing Joe Biden for being a uh, for claiming to be a devout Catholic, and is that right or wrong? And this is the problem with that is that we've we've like the devil has convinced us that you know it's it's not real. The devil has has ignored the or has convinced us to ignore the reality that when you say Amen, right? When you profess your faith in Mass on Sunday, when you say Amen and you received communion the body, blood, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ into your body, that you are agreeing to every belief of the Catholic Church, every teaching of the Catholic Church, and that and, and that you understand that the only way of sin, that, that the only form of sin is not just committing that sin yourself, but also encouraging that sin by endorsing that sin, by approving of that sin, by celebrating that sin. You are, that's another way to commit sin, right? And so we understand that not only like we, we kind of fail to understand this on a large level that when you go to mass, when you claim to be Catholic, when you claim to, you know, get married in the Catholic church and you're going to raise your children Catholic, like that is a huge promise that you're making. And that means not cafeteria Catholicism where I'm going to go pick and choose what Catholic beliefs I want to believe in. No, it means that I'm going to adhere to the authority of the Catholic church, understand its teachings and, and, and pass them along to the next generation and, and try my very best to live by those. Right. That is incredibly important. And we fail to realize that we make that commitment every week, every time we go to communion, every time we profess our faith, every time we tell people that we're Catholic, in marriage, in confirmation, in all these different things, right? At the baptism of our children, we promise to do these things. And then if we go out and we encourage or endorse or support or celebrate the sin of other people, as, as according to the Catholic church, that is a sin. And it's a mortal sin. If it's, if it's encouraging, supporting, celebrating, endorsing mortal sin, it's a mortal sin. And so we have to be very, very careful of that. And I don't want to, I don't want to say all these things and sound super judgy and preachy because anybody, I mean, most of you out there know me. So you know that I've committed a lot of mortal sin. I've failed a lot in my lifetime. And so this isn't some me looking down on everybody else. And, and Father Ripperger is not doing that. And anybody who shares these things or most people who do these things are not trying to do that, right? Like I said, there are, I think, some far extreme uh, tradition, we call them the rad trads, right? The radical traditional Catholics who I think do get very judgy and do kind of feel like they're on a high horse. And undoubtedly that, that creeps into all of our hearts, right? We all judge and we all sin. We all make these mistakes. So I'm not even saying that their sin is worse than my sin. But I think that this is something that I wish that I had known earlier in my life. I wish that somebody had been real with me and serious with me about what was going on in the world and about how my sin was seriously uh, affecting the world. And it was, it was, you know, adding to the dangers and the sins and the, the breakdown of society. And so I think that's really important is to understand that the efficacy, efficacy of priests, the effectiveness of priests to perform exorcism is dependent on the church. 
and that's true for all things, right? Like I'm sure that that I don't I don't know this, but I would guess that even in healings or asking for miracles, because of the the poor poor state of our church, which hopefully everybody can admit is is very very bad right now, because of that, I think that uh, even healings or miracles are probably not happening in the in the way that God would want them to, right? Because of the the state of the church, what is the state of the church? What would, the study came out, I can't I think it was two years ago. And I think it was like fall of 2019 that said some 70 plus percent of Catholics don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. The divorce rate of Catholics is the same basically as everywhere else in the world or, or like every, like, you know, secular society, the rate of Catholics living in, um, this is something that Father Ripperger talked about last night, the state of Catholics living in, uh, living together before marriage, cohabitating is the same as Protestants, which is very similar to the rest of the world. He said some, 74%, I believe it was, of Catholics believe in contraception and have used contraception before. And so these are the things that, you know, are offensive to God. We, we've removed marriage and childbearing from the importance, like the importance of those things from the sexual act in a massive way, right? And a lot of these things happened during the 60s, you know, which is ironically the same time that, um, Oh, yeah, so there's, there's the stats. So ironically, the same time that uh, Vatican II took place, which I'm not saying that Vatican II is horrific and awful and evil, but the, the 60s as a, de as a decade changed a lot of things for us, right? Leading right into the 70s, where in the early 70s, we had the, the passing of Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in the United States of America. He said that over the last 50 years, cohabitation has increased 900%, and that 74% of Catholics and 76% of Protestants believe it's acceptable. Um, so you have to understand that. So what comes with cohabitation typically is you're talking about most of the time and a strong majority of those cases is you're talking about sex before marriage and just actually just living in a state of mortal sin, according to the Catholic church, which is a dangerous, dangerous thing, right? You're talking about like, like, that's not something, th th this is what people need to understand. And I have friends who do this. I have friends who I love who do this. Um, you know, I've been in a place in my life before where I was in that 74% and I would have approved and believed it. But we have to understand that these, like I always say, that there's these four fundamental questions that people need to answer for themselves. Does God exist? Is Jesus the son of God? Is he who he says he was, right? Did he rise from the dead? Um, and do I believe that the Catholic church has authority, right? So if we can answer those four questions, then I think that and I might've reworded some of them. So it wasn't clear what the four questions are. So I apologize. But if, especially that last one, right? So if you believe God exists, if you believe Jesus is the son of God, if you believe he res resurrected from the dead, and if you believe that he started the Catholic church and the Catholic church has authority, then you, and you confess these things and believe those in mass on Sunday, then it is a dangerous thing to then go ahead and live in sin intentionally. Because here's the difference with some of these things. It is a difference. And, and this is where I think people miss, mistake a lot of what we would consider judgment, judgmental Catholics. It is one thing to say, you know, I'm struggling with pornography or I'm struggling with sex before marriage or me and my, me and my relationship are struggling, uh, you know, my significant other are struggling to maintain chastity in our relationship. Or I believe, Lord, I, I believe in these things, but I just, I struggle and I'm afraid to go back to confession or I'm struggling with self-doubt or with a certain belief in the church, whatever that might be, right? But you're trying to understand, you're seeking to learn more about it. You're seeking to, to, to not commit that sin. When you commit that sin, you repent you know, immediately, or you repent soon after, or you go to confession as soon as you can, that is different than saying, I, I reject this church teaching, and I'm going to actively live every single day in opposition of it. That is a different thing. And if you think about starting off a marriage, right, the most sacred thing that we have, the, the most sacred institution, starting a marriage off on that foot of immorality and, and immortal sin is a very, very dangerous game. It is a, it is a dangerous thing. And so we see this, like, how, is it ironic? Is it, is, it, is it just by chance that the cohabitation has increased by 900% and that we've got nearly a 50% divorce rate in the Catholic church? Is it, is it just by chance that we had this increase in contraception belief in the Catholic church and we just, by chance, we just so happen to have this same divorce rate as secular society? Maybe, maybe it is. But I think that these are the things that people need to hear about and people need to think about. And we think about spiritual warfare, the way that, that Satan has really influence our you know our world with this propaganda and with these evil beliefs that are just anti-church that are anti-christian 
that are anti-God, you know, we have to, we have to take the whole thing into perspective. And so that's something that I try to talk about a lot, right? <laughs> Especially if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I talk all the time. My biggest frustration with arguing with people on Facebook or Instagram is that we always like to take one little aspect of something and, and simplify it, oversimplify it without taking in the full picture. And this is, this is the reason why I want to make this difficult, divisive, controversial podcast episode is that I think that you need to take in the whole picture. And I believe, and I think that it's Christian to believe that it is loving to tell people the truth. It is loving to tell people the truth. I don't say this because I want people to feel bad about themselves. Neither do priests. Jesus doesn't give us these things because he wants us to feel bad and, and feel shame. And this, this freaking lie that, that Catholic guilt is just rampant because you actually feel guilty for committing sins, right? Like, was there a time where, where Catholic guilt was a real thing and you felt bad just for, and, and is there a place, are there places in the country now where you feel bad and just like unnecessary guilt because you missed a day of praying the rosary or I didn't read my Bible yesterday? Sure. I don't think that's exclusively Catholic. Maybe the rosary part is, but scripture, prayer, going to church, whatever, like there's guilt, but there's also a healthy guilt. You know, we talk about the difference between guilt and shame, where guilt is I'm not doing the right thing. And I feel bad about that. And shame is me feeling like I can never do the right thing again. I can't go back. I can't repent. I can't be accepted again. We don't want people to feel shame, but a good a decent sense of guilt is a good thing, right? We should feel bad when we when we miss mass on Sunday, we should feel bad if we're cohabitating or if we're having sex before marriage intentionally, you know, committing to that. Like I've been there. I've done, I've done these things, right? Like I understand what it's like. I, I've, I've been in the place where I felt completely fine about it and, and my soul was not in a good spot. And I've been in a place where my soul was in a good spot and then I failed anyways. And it, it, and it hurt and it, it, it caused a lot of guilt in my heart. It, made it very difficult to go back to confession. It made me doubt whether or not God would still love me. And I had to overcome that. And I want people to be encouraged to overcome those things. But the answer is not to tell them don't feel guilty at all, which is what the world promotes today. The world just says, you can do whatever you want. And that's infiltrated the church. How do you know that's infiltrated the church? Because for the 18th time, 74% of Catholics believe in cohabitation. A ton of them believe in contraception. A ton of them are pro-choice. A ton of them uh, don't believe in the, the true presence of the Eucharist. Why? Because relativism is, is the philosophy of our times. That means that you can create your own truth. You hear these people say this all the time. I'm living out my truth. Oh, thank you for sharing your truth. Truth is the truth. If it's your truth, it's my truth. <laughs> because there's no, there's no way that we can both experience something and say two different things happen and yours is your truth and mine is my truth. Because if we had it on video, we know one of us is right and one of us is wrong, right? So that's different than having preferences or opinions on certain things. It doesn't mean that every single thing is right and wrong, right? There's certain disagreements that we could have. How do we find the right ground on the minimum wage debate? How do we find the right ground, ground on, on solving the, the college debt problem in America, right? That doesn't mean that those things are always black and white, which is what people try to make it out to be, right? So we try to make those big complex topics to be black and white. And then the things that are actually are black and white, like objective truth and, and reality, we act like there's a spectrum, right? We have like there's a spectrum and there's these differences and things like that, which is actually insane if you think about it. So he talked to us a little bit about how there's five generals. Father Ripperger told us about how there's five generals in Satan's army and that they each have different purposes. They each have different uh, plots or, or responsibilities, if you will. So he walked through all of those and to save, I think I've been controversial enough. Maybe we'll go into these at another time. You can look into those and there's podcasts out there that talk about these on your own time, if you'd like to, some of them have to deal with impurity. A lot of them is impurity, um, this cohabitation stuff. You know, we talk about attacks on the sixth and the ninth commandments, um, homosexuality, and uh, child sacrifice and abortion. So he talked about those things. You know, that's just a little brief overview for you. Um, and then he talked a lot about how just the enemy has great influence and power in the leadership of our times, right? So you see this in a lot of the world leaders. You see this in uh, the way, um, I don't know, is it Xi Jinping? I can never say the, the Chinese communist president's uh, name. Um, and just the softness that, you know, Joe Biden has on him. Just recently, I think it was last week in a town hall, he supported or, or I mean, basically approved of or was soft on the uh, internment camps that, that the Chinese Communist Party is putting uh, the Uyghur Muslims in and the... the uh, What's the word like the 
they're basically trying to keep them from having children, keep them from procreating. And they're putting them in re-education camps and all this stuff and just like taking away their human rights. And what his response to that was, well, they have different cultural norms in China. Yeah, those different cultural, no cultural norms are, are communism and human rights violations. So I guess that's just okay if that's just what you do. We just allow that. And it's amazing how much that's happened in our world and how those things have become acceptable. And, and even books I'm reading now, things I'm learning about of just the absurdity of how it's become impossible to criticize Islam at all, or Islamic extremists, not just Islam as a religion, but when you talk about Islamic terrorists or people who have actual testimonies. I was just reading the story of this anecdote of somebody who was on the, the Tonight Show with Jon Stewart uh, or the Daily Show with Jon Stewart and was sharing her personal lived experience of being a victim of you know, uh, genital mutilation and uh, forced marriage and all these different things in the Islam world and in the extreme Islamist world and he just like cut her off and was like, and just changed the subject. And people don't want to talk about that. And you, you know, you see these arguments between um, atheists and, you know, celebrities, you know, like uh, on the Bill Maher, I just watched a video of, on, on uh, Bill Maher with Ben Affleck and uh, the, uh, oh man, what's my man's name? I don't know why I said my man, he's not my man, but he's like the most famous atheist of our time, Sam Harris, talking about, uh, Muslims and extremist, extremism within the Muslim community and just like arguing about this because you can't even criticize the extremists. And so how crazy that's gotten and, and just the influence in this, this defense of and protection of and cooperation with evil in our world, which is, which is horrific and it's awful. Uh, the other thing you talked about is just COVID is currently being used by a lot of the elites and the political leaders of our time to uh, shut off the flow of the grace and sacraments to our people, right? We see that with the closing of churches, of people not being able to receive last rites, of people not being able to go to confession, people not being able to receive the Eucharist. That is, a, that is an awful thing. And it's it's one of the most frustrating things that I see. This is, this is going to be a rant in and of itself. This is one of the most frustrating things that I see amongst a lot of Catholics, public, popular Catholics on Instagram or, you know, speakers or whatever they might be, is this whole like, oh, you know, I'm just going to mass virtually and it's really sad, but this is just what we have to do at this time. Or you see so many bishops just cave to any little political pressure to, to shut down the churches immediately and indefinitely. And it's an awful thing. And you see that a lot of, this is again, is where I started to see, wow, a lot of these Orthodox priests and a lot of these traditional priests push back against that. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that when we are, how, how can we go from being upset that 70 plus percent of Catholics don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist to then telling people, stay home, it's too dangerous for you to come and get the Eucharist? How do, like, how, how do those two things happen? It doesn't make any sense to me. How are we upset that people don't believe in the true presence? And then we take actions that show people that, that we don't even believe in the true presence, right? Like if, if people need this, if we believe John 6, we believe that this is the bread of life, that our souls literally need the Eucharist, which I do. How can we just say, oh, yeah, we can just like, we'll just hold off on that for a while. It doesn't make any sense. You, you can't do both of those things, right? So we'll see that this persecution through COVID, the persecution that we're going to go through with the world, you saw in the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, that one of the most acceptable forms of, I would say second to, to straight white men, the most acceptable form of, of bigotry in this world right now is against Catholics. It's the most accept, toler, tolerated form of religious persecution is Orthodox Catholics. So I guess you get to decide, you know, if, if the church is being persecuted by the world and you see people like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and uh, Schumer and all these like popular Catholics, right, in scare quotes, all these Catholics who are leading our country who are just supported and endorsed and are just like, hey, is this a new wave of Catholicism? Is Catholicism catching up with the times? And Pope Francis said this, this and that. And is that Catholicism catching up with the times? And then you see somebody who's an actual Orthodox practicing truly believing Catholic like Amy Coney Barrett receive persecution and be, uh, you know, hated by the world and attacked by the world and her faith attacked and criticized and said that she can't be a Catholic and be a true servant, uh, you know, of the United States and be uh, reasonable and logical and fair. And you wonder which side you're on and you're on the side of the ones who the worlds are celebrating the world, like this world, like the world where we're, 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 we're killing millions of babies each year in the womb. The year, the, the world that is celebrating the destruction of the nuclear family, that's, in, that's celebrating the destruction of marriage, that's telling you that men can be women and women can be men. Like if you're wondering which side you're on and you're defending one versus the other, you find yourself very eager to defend Joe Biden and his Catholicism, but 
you were very silent with Amy Coney Barrett, you might want to rethink that. This is a dangerous thing. I think that this is that this is one of the main things that he tried to talk about. He talked a lot about how socialism and communism and Satanism work hand in hand. And you can see that with the way that these literally socialism and communism have caused genocides, right? Rampant poverty, genocide, incredible hatred. It relies upon a, an atheist society. You can't have a religious society and socialism because you have to be dependent. You have to give all of your power to the government. And this is one of the things that, you know, on a political side that I've always thought was so interesting that I just kind of reasoned to myself that was later confirmed for me with logic and reason by a lot of smart people as I learned more and more about conservative principles. And it's this idea of these ever expanding basic and, and scare quotes again, basic human rights. We have this ever expanding basic human rights and it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me because your, your, your human rights, as we see in the Declaration of Independence, that you have inalienable rights given to you by your creator. That means given to you by God because you are a human being, which has inherent value, you are given by God these inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which the government cannot infringe upon. And so the Constitution and Declaration of Independence are actually set to protect these rights for us. Like that's what, that's what they're supposed to do. The, the Constitution gives them their parameters of what, in which they can operate that, that, so that they do not infringe upon our, our human, our human rights. Now, my question is, if this is, the, this is the shift, when you think about the right and the left, and this is true, this isn't just like some, some crazy thought that I had, like this is the difference, is that the right believes that you have those basic human rights given to you by God. Conservatives believe that. And, and even, if you, even if you're not a Christian on the conservative side, right? If you're a Muslim and you believe that, if you're a Jew and you believe that, if you're uh, you know, an atheist and you believe that the universe gives it to us, whatever, you believe that there's a higher power that gives us our inalienable rights and that the government and other people cannot infringe upon those, morally speaking. On the left, what you hear is you have this constantly increasing basic human rights, right? Like healthcare is a basic human right. Um, reproductive rights, abortion is a basic human right. We have a basic human right to a higher wage and to all these different things, right? Because to them, the government gives you your rights. And so that's how you push more and more into socialism. We have these ever expanding rights, right? That notice that these rights can only come from a, a civilized and um, highly productive and uh, wealthy, very established society, right? Because if you think back to when America was founded, right? This is what I think is so interesting about this. When I, when I think about these things, when America was founded and when you just had smaller societies, right? So that's how I always try to think back to, to make sense of a lot of these political issues and, and this idea of rights. Your rights have always existed and they would exist in every circumstance and every situation. It's not something that's exclusive to America. They're, they're not something that are exclusive to, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like Joe Biden said, well, they have different cultural norms. No. Those people have basic human rights. The people marching in Hong Kong for democracy, they want to say and they want their liberty protected. They don't want China telling them how many kids they can have. They don't want China banning them from the internet and from social media platforms and, and being able to see news on social media. Like you have a basic human right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to have your freedom, to be able to choose how you raise your family, to be able to choose how many kids you have, to be able to choose who you marry, right? Like we, we have the liberty to do that. Those, ex those exist across time and, and cultures, right? Um, well, they, the way people choose to execute those things and that people choose to sacrifice or give up their rights of freedom and liberty to live in a culture that, that doesn't recognize those, sure, but they should have the ability and the freedom to do that. Now, going back to the beginning of society, the beginning, even if you think of a small society, you, you, like, if your human rights only come from the prog progress and development of the world, then they're not, they're not basic human rights. That's what the term basic human rights means. It means they're basic. It means they exist all the time. It means that at a base level in, in humanity, you have these rights. How can you have the rights to healthcare if there's no doctors around? So go back to the beginning of, of time or the beginning of time, but the beginning of society a, a thousand years ago, uh, like you can't, how can you just force somebody, let's say there's one doctor in the state of Pennsylvania amongst the, uh, you know, the pilgrims, like you can't force them to, to, to work on you, right? Like you don't have a right to, to make them do that, like to make them uh, perform procedures or to treat you or do anything like that. And if there's none around, then what? 
you don't have a basic right to that. that. That's what a basic right means. Now, that doesn't mean that as Christians and as, as moral people, we shouldn't support making that accessible, especially as society progress, as we become wealthier as a nation. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to make it accessible. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to make it affordable. Doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to, to be the doctors and to be the lawyers that can serve the poor and that can reach them and that can help them. And that we as people who make money shouldn't you know, pay for mission trips like that or pay for you know, the impoverished or the less... Uh, less fortunate to be able to have opportunities to, to self, be self-sufficient in that and for people to go to medical school and for people to learn these things, to pass along this knowledge, 100% we should do that. But this idea that it's a basic human right is nonsense. And so he, then he went on, you know, I want to wrap up here soon because I'm going to talk about this for five hours if I don't stop. So maybe we'll do another one. He went on to talk about just how many people um, are just the problem of pornography, essentially, which I think a lot of people don't understand how serious this is. So he talked about uh, the, the pornography use in America, um, or in, I don't know if it was in the United States or in the world, but he said that there's a drastic increase in pornography. That's, there's, there's studies that show that 35%, up to 35 to 50% of the internet at any one time is being used for pornography. 12% of all websites are pornographic websites. He said that 116,000 people each day source for, search for child porn each day that 11 years old is the average age of first exposure to, towards uh, to pornography. And so think about that. Think about how that affects society. This, 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 like I told, like I said earlier, this separation of the sexual act from marriage and, and child uh, and, and childbirth um, and the family unit, like this is, this is what comes up. This is what comes of those things. Right. So I was just having a conversation with somebody recently and they were talking about, you know, and, and you might disagree with this, but I think that the logic holds of people, a lot of times, you know, we, we look back to how many people, uh, President Obama, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, all these people were anti-same-sex marriage back in the day, right? And I'm not talking like 40 years ago, I'm talking about the, the mid-2000s, right? Like, this was, this was something that they all were, were against originally, and then they changed their position on. And, and she pointed back to how same-sex marriage, at one, like, really kind of was the, the creation of, like, the LGBT community, which has now, I believe, been dominated and taken over, hostily taken over by the transgender movement, especially, ironically, transgender women, which are biological males, uh, and they've taken over the feminist movement as well. Really, like how that that path towards this, this the path towards all these things, began with same-sex marriage because same-sex marriage wasn't approved and and legalized just on the basis of okay, this we'll give this, we'll concede this, but then like there's not going to be much more than this. It was like, we just opened the floodgates and now we see what we see today. And he talked about how even mental health is something that really changes with the times. Like mental health is based on what's popular, right? So now people are considered hate, hate, hateful or bigoted or mentally ill or evil if they don't believe that a seven-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl should be able to transition and start taking hormone blockers or even have uh, you know surgery to forever change their bodies. Think about that. Like back in the day, if somebody said that when they were walking around and they, a man thought they were a woman, like they would have been considered mentally ill. And today you're considered crazy and, and wrong and, and like inciter of violence and evil. If you just believe that it's not good for a boy to be believe, to be told that he is a girl, a biological boy to be told, yes, you are, you feel like a girl, even though you don't know what it feels like to be a girl because you're not a girl. So you don't like that. Those words actually mean nothing to you. And you're only a little child. Yeah, let's let's start taking some some action here. You know, as your parent, I'm going to allow you to start taking action to to actually become a girl. And we can take these, uh, you know, hormone blockers and things that are going to change puberty blockers that'll just really affect your body forever. But that's going to be okay because you're a boy who feels like you're a girl. And if you are against that, then you're seen as crazy. Like now, today's we're like you're seen as as something's wrong with you, um, and that's the world that we live in today. And so. It's really scary, I think, and it's really unfortunate um, that we have this kind of situation. But the hope at the end, something that he talked about, is that God is forming, you know, he's piling up the graces, he's forming his army to fight back against these things. And I know probably seven people will make it to the end of this podcast, um, and that's okay. But what I want you to understand is that we have to start taking our lives more seriously. This, this was the most inspirational, one of the most inspirational nights of my life to realize like, wow, praise the Lord. He's enlisted me in this army to be a part of this, to fight, fight for good and, and truth and love 
and actual love and goodness in this world. Like, don't just don't just hear that we're fighting for truth and facts and logic and reason. Those things are true. But we're also fighting for faith. We're fighting for God. We're fighting for actual love, for grace and mercy and goodness in this world and beauty. We have to fight to protect these things. And, and you see these things under attack right now. If you don't know what the Equality Act is, if you're a Catholic and you haven't heard of the Equality Act, you need to start engaging in life more because religious freedoms, religious liberties are going to be under attack under this devoutly Catholic, again in scare quotes, president that we have right now. We have to be aware of these things. The Equality Act is going to force all types of um, uh, abortion rights. It's going to force all, and I don't even want to call them rights, but all types of abortion uh, agenda is going to push, uh, uh, what's the word? I just talked about it for so long. Um, uh, all types of things within within gender is going to push, oh, contraception. I don't know why I just blanked on the word contraception. It's going to push all types of contraception on Catholic organizations. On Catholic organizations, it would give gender and sexual orientation the same rights under the 1964 Civil Rights Act is what my understanding of it is, which means that you're not going to be able to discriminate that even like eventually women wanting to become priests or women wanting to enter into a, or men wanting to enter into a convent, right? A convent, like sisters and nuns, like a man wanted to enter into a convent, that that would be hateful and, and they'll be fined and imprisoned and destroyed for not allowing men to enter into a convent. Like these are the things that are actually happening. Like this is not like, oh, this might happen down the road. Like the slippery slope began 10, 15, 20, 50, 75 years ago. Like we are now seeing infanticide where children that survive abortions can be killed on the table outside of the womb, even if they survive full term abortions being done in states across the country. Like I'm talking nine months, like full babies being aborted and, and torn apart and injected with poison and killed. Like these are the things that are happening right now. And it's under the guise of, you know, and I'm not, I say this, I say this, I think every single day of my life, I'm not a, a MAGA hat wearing Trump is God's gift to the world individual. But these are the things that are being pushed by the, gen the, the Democrat leaders who appease people like Black Lives Matter, who appease all these like little, little groups of people that say, we're going to fight for women, we're going to fight for equality, we're going to fight for Black people, and then they don't. And this is the stuff that they push. They tie our country to communist regimes like China. They, they push all these evil agendas like abortion and um, the destruction of the nuclear family. They're pushing these ideas within the 1619 Project and putting this stuff in public schools that white people are inherently evil and bad and that to be white is to be an oppressor and to be evil and that every person, every black brown person is just a victim and can't make anything of their lives and just subject to white supremacy and that that's what we should be afraid of and that we should be afraid of police officers and that we should be afraid of each other. Think of the impact that we have on masks. Think of how you felt. I remember tolerating this bullshit in my own life for like, seven days. I don't even know how long I did it before. I was like, you know what? Screw this. This is dumb with COVID and these masks of you go into the grocery store and you're wearing a mask and you're like, you're afraid of other people. You're looking, we are Christians. We are, we're called to, to make disciples of all nations. It doesn't, he didn't say make disciples of all nations unless there's a pandemic, then just bundle up and stay inside and don't do anything. No, make disciples of all nations. That means baptize. He told us to baptize people. He didn't say baptize people if it's safe. He said baptize people. We have Christians literally around the world who suffer persecutions, who are literally being killed for being Christian, for being Catholic. And we here are afraid to even get close to another human being with our face masks on because we think that they might give us the Rona. Like you have to understand how absurd this stuff is and that while we're hiding and ducking and hiding and just saying two weeks to slow the spread and we're just going to stay inside forever and listen to the government. They know what's best and they want what's best for us and trust these Catholic leaders. No, isn't it great? We have a Catholic president. Oh, and Kamala Harris is a black woman and I'm a Catholic. I'm a black Catholic. And so I'm going to support Kamala Harris and dress my kid up as Kamala Harris because she's a black cat. Stop it. Like, I'm telling you guys, this stuff needs to end. The shit has to stop. And we have to stop this, this, this soft, like, lazy, like I said, intellectual laziness that says, I'm not going to engage in politics because it's too crazy. Or no, these things are linked. These things are linked. Socialism, the, the, the political agenda is, is going to be anti-church, anti-Catholic. And don't just think we have this, 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 uh, this, provocation, this, this, this inclination to think, oh, anti-church just means like my life's going to be harder. And like, I'm willing to, to take on that challenge. I'm willing to be a martyr or, you know, or to just deal with the persecution. You know what else is going to mean? It's going to mean that we're going to evangelize less. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to 
get our message out to the world. We're going to have less people encounter Jesus when we have these, these um, persecutions put into place. When we close our church, you know how many people didn't receive the sacraments this year? You know how many people didn't aren't going to come back. You know how many people didn't hear the good news of Jesus Christ in their lives this year because of these lockdowns and the way that we just bow to the government? A lot. And that's the people, those are the people you need to be thinking about. Not just you and how you think you'll survive. I'll probably be okay. I'll probably, I'll still come back to mass after the lockdown. Stop being selfish. We have to start thinking about the people who aren't going to do that and caring about them and loving them and wanting to reach out to them. So I want to encourage you today. We talk about this at Seeking Excellence. You hear it in the intro every time you listen to this. You are a soldier of Christ. You're meant to be a soldier of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, an ambassador of Christ. Your prayer life matters more than you've ever imagined, right? You're capable of doing incredible good in this world. You're capable of being a holy disciple of our Lord that will just be a shining light in the midst of all of this darkness. But we have to be bold and courageous. There is This is not a time, in my personal opinion, of just like, oh, I'm just going to evangelize by my actions and, and by the way, my, live my life and then let all this evil propaganda and ideas and ideology just be spread around me. No, you can't do that anymore. doesn't mean you have to be arguing with people and calling people idiots, and, and, and which I've done before, but you don't have to be calling people a-holes and all kinds of nasty names and being rude on Twitter and, and, and Facebook, but you do need to politely step in sometimes in personal conversations on social media in the workplace, wherever it might be, you have you have to stand for something. If people aren't mad at you at this point, then you're probably not doing, you're probably not standing for anything. We live in this world of extreme cancel culture. Stop being afraid of being canceled and start taking it as a badge of honor. We want to be the Catholics and the people of our time who actually stood for something. I hope that one day if people look back from the church perspective on my life, that they'll look and say, wow, this guy actually stood for something. He actually stood for the church. I hope that people will look at me and that I'm doing and my actions show that I'm somebody who loves other people, that I'm much like the Orthodox priests that I love and adore and respect, like Father Meyer, like Father Chase, who are willing to speak on these difficult and, and divisive and, and truly evil topics of our time. I hope people see me as that person. I hope people don't say, oh, he's just one of the guys who just wants to be famous and just wants a bunch of Instagram followers and stuff like that. If I wanted that, I just post all my interesting, lovely, nice uh, guy thoughts about, you know, how great Jesus is and, and little quotes from here and there. That would be all I posted about. I wouldn't post about the, the other, the other, the, the, um, not even the other side of Jesus, but the fullness of Jesus that, that flipped the tables in the temple. The one who called the, the Pharisees and Sadducees hypocrites and snakes and told us to beware of them, to beware of the leaders of our time. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about that side of Jesus. I would just, I would just talk about the niceties and, and make it seem like he's a nice guy and try to get people to listen to me because of that. I don't want to do that. I'd rather have 10 followers and, and 10 listeners to the podcast and talk about the truth and the realness and the things that I feel like God's put in my heart than to blow up and, and, and try to be famous or Instagram famous or be an influencer that doesn't stand for anything. So I hope that you'll do the same. I hope this encourages you to take your life seriously, to take your faith seriously, and to be the man or woman that God called you to be. Because I'm telling you guys, we cannot afford to do anything less. So God bless. Go out there and truly, truly, truly fight as hard as you can to be your best.